I wonder, do you like Christmas? I like Christmas. My family likes Christmas. In fact, we absolutely love Christmas. But we are aware that not everybody does. I've met a few very jaded people over the last few months that are all a little bit, well, not Scroogey so much as a little bit Jack Dean. You know, a little bit like, oh, Christmas. I can't stand it. Anyone would have thought that the angels came to announce, I bring you bad tidings of great inconvenience. Today, a child has been born in the town of Bethlehem that will ruin your Decembers forever. It does get a bit full on sometimes. And I do understand that the festivities can be stressful, but it's so important not to forget what it's really all about. It's all about joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. I know. It's about It's about the fact that God didn't want to stay distant, but instead he wanted to come and get involved with humanity. It's because he wanted to get his life all involved with our lives. He wants to be near us. The Lord is come. Emmanuel, that means God is with us. He loves us. It's the big moment in history when God gloriously turns upside down our perception of him and invites us to get to know him personally for what he's really like. It's also an opportunity to tell a few people that they matter to us. To express our love to a few people with maybe some presents, maybe a Christmas card, maybe a shared meal or something like that. So, I just want to encourage you to cheer up and know that Christmas is good. It is established, so no more whinging. Christmas is great. You might as well learn to enjoy it because I guarantee you it will come round every year for the rest of your life. (laughs) And if you're stuck for inspiration, turn to the nativity because that's where it all begins. That's where we can come back to the roots. And we, we return to this story every year. And somehow it keeps speaking to us. I, I just find that a miracle. In our highly sophisticated age of emerging technology and global communication, a 2,000 year old story can still matter to me and my life. I can still find, find profound thoughts that are relevant to me in there. That's a miracle. Now sometimes at these carols by candlelight services, we look at some of the light-hearted and even comical aspects of this story, but we're not going there this year. If you were hoping for something light-hearted and pantomime, you may be disappointed for the next few minutes. We did put barbed wire on the invites just to warn you a bit. You see, this year what's really struck me is the deep political unrest of the nativity story. We usually hint at this in our children's nativity plays. Caesar's decree is usually in there. 
And we sometimes might have Herod greeting a few wise men. Sometimes there's a few aliens and lobsters as well, just to spice it up a bit. But the nativities rightly skip over the brutality of the dictatorship ruling Israel in the first century. What our nativities rightly skip over has to be sometimes spoken about. Our performance softened the struggle of this ordinary little family having to manage childbirth in a dirty stable and then having to grab what they can and run in the middle of the night. The story usually ends just before this family with their little boy run in fear to seek refuge in a neighbouring country narrowly escaping the massacre of hundreds of innocent children in Bethlehem as they run into exile until the murderous regime of Herod is passed, hiding until it's safe to return to Nazareth. Brutal regimes, interfering powerful neighbouring nations, large-scale loss of innocent life, families fleeing in the night, making dangerous journeys in search of asylum. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Is that not the story played out on our news channels most days at the moment? Do you know the number of people forced to flee their homes last year across the world exceeded 50 million people. That figure hasn't been that high since the Second World War. This year, CAFOD set the figure at 65.3 million displaced and vulnerable people on the earth. That's an unimaginable number. We can't possibly get our heads around it. Perhaps it's the situation in Aleppo that is uppermost in our minds. They are still trying to evacuate thousands of people from eastern Aleppo with ceasefires failing and buses carrying civilians and wounded people being bombed only today. Most are being taken to the nearby city of Idlib. A few hours ago, I read this on my BBC News app. What are the conditions like in Idlib? In many places, conditions are already inadequate. With families staying in crowded buildings, still under construction, with no heat, toilets or running water. The International Rescue Committee says, and villages in the countryside are, are said to be starting to get full. Sorry, villages in the countryside are said to be getting full. Wow. Sorry, there's no room at the inn. It's not good enough, but you can use something about as good as a stable, if you must. This is today. So many stories like that don't make the news. Families, children, elderly people, displaced and vulnerable around the world. And the world is so often silent about it because it doesn't get reported. Do you know what? Perhaps there has never been a more important time to make a Christian response to the refugee crisis in the world. And I think this nativity story has a lot to say about God's perspective on all of it. The nativity story isn't just a children's play and it's not just a Christmas card. It is deeply relevant. And we know that 
Many people around the world in a vulnerable situation have found real comfort in its pages. Jesus was under two years old when the family had to run. Have a look at this picture. Could this be a picture of Mary and Joseph and the little Jesus under two years? This beautiful Syrian family running from their homeland, having left all of their possessions in a hurry in need of provision and shelter and safety. Just listen to this from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We just heard it. When the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going in search of the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. Is this so different? It's all in here. I wanted to read it from the Bible, but there's not really enough light. It's all in here. These stories all played out 2,000 years ago. People like you and I, one day comfortable and prosperous, the next day having to make long, painful journeys. Fathers and mothers enduring the bitter experience of having to beg for shelter for their families and then having to endure inadequate and dirty places to rest and to work out what on earth to do next. Take a look. Could that not be a nativity scene? A modern interpretation of Joseph and Jesus en route to Egypt. See, often the Holy Family are pictured happy and serene, enjoying the stable. Ah, looks pretty. In reality, both in Bethlehem and especially en route to Egypt, there would have been a lot of tears. Lots of stress. Joseph would have felt helpless and humiliated by his family's lack of support. And both Mary and Joseph would have wished their little one could have known a kinder, easier, happier start to life. But he didn't. This is what I want you to grasp. Because this is even better than Father Christmas. God in Jesus was a refugee. Can you grasp it? Jesus was a first century asylum seeker. God on a government unwanted list with an assassination order on his head. Like so many are today. That is the reality behind the nativity. And the story of the early life of the Son of God. Sometimes I've switched on the news and I've seen desperate people trying to find safety and struggling to survive in places like Aleppo and Yemen. And I think, where is God? But then I come to this story of the nativity. And I see that God has made himself quite clear. God 
is with them. He could have chosen another family, another context, another life for Jesus to have been born into, but he didn't. He chose absolute solidarity with all the displaced families of the earth. He has lived through the pain of that life, and therefore he understands them. He is for them. He is one of them. He is on their side. Do you know, God identifies with displaced people so much to the point where however the world treats refugees he takes it personally he feels when feels it when they are mistreated and he feels it when they are blessed and respected you know when jesus grew up he told his disciples in no uncertain terms that whatever we do for the most vulnerable people of earth it is just as though we do it for him. Matthew 25, verses 34 onwards. Jesus is teaching his followers about what he looks for in people. He explains that one day he will turn to all those people who have not turned a blind eye, but shown compassion to struggling people, and says to them this. Listen. He will say, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and come to feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then Jesus will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. He describes the struggling people of the world as his brothers and sisters, his nearest and dearest. Do you see it? He said, what you do for them is exactly as if I were them and you did it for me personally. And sometimes I've pondered, if I was in the, the nativity story, what would I have done for this vulnerable Nazarene family? I like to think that I would have been generous to them. But now I understand that I am part of this story, the ongoing story. And my opportunity to care for Jesus' family still stands. Will I close the door and say no room? too busy, I don't really care that much, or will I do what I can do to help and to bless the Son of God? Another thing I love about this story is that Jesus and his family eventually made it, didn't they? It all turned out okay for them. They did find somewhere to stay in Egypt. They did eventually turn, return to their beloved homeland 
when it was safe to do so. Joseph did set up as a carpenter and the family prospered. But how? How did this family do it? How could such a desperate family become such a happy and stable and generous one? Well, we don't have all the answers, but we do have a very important one. And it's this. God moved the hearts of three people half the world away to help. We call them the three wise men. These three men are inspired to organize some extravagant gifts and to travel all the way to this family in Bethlehem, carrying provisions that this family will need. One of the three wise men just bought gold, money, a fund that this family could use. How much did this beautiful family need that cash when they had to run only with what they could carry on their way to find a safer place to set up and make home? For Mary and Joseph, these wise men must have seemed like an absolute gift of God. And they were. They were literally. God touched their hearts and moved them to action. And they came and they knelt and they worshipped and they gave out of their generosity. God was blessed. And this family was provided for. So... Here in Totnes, Christmas 2016, a world away from where some of the hardest refugee crises are being played out in real time. We have a powerful opportunity to take our part in the ongoing nativity story. God is still inspiring people to provide for his displaced brothers and sisters around the world. He is still stirring up courage and sacrifice and generosity. God is still calling out that same desire to worship Jesus as the Christ and to bring something meaningful to him. And maybe you, like me, just want to see some families and some individuals given the opportunity to find their way to safety and to be blessed and to be cared for and to be helped just a little bit to prosper. In a moment, we're going to pass the buckets around. And I want to encourage you to give generously tonight. But before I do, I want to say a few words about the two organizations that we want to raise funds for tonight. Half of the money that we raise tonight is going to Beyond Borders, Totnes and District. Can I get a cheer for Beyond Borders? They do a fantastic job enabling local people to offer a variety of initiatives in support of asylum seekers and refugees in the south of Devon. Right here on our doorstep. They're doing a great work not only with direct support, but also with raising awareness. And we want to encourage them and support them tonight. The second group we want to give to is a small organization called Tech Europe, which is based in Albania. This simple initiative supports a Roma community living in the slums on the outskirts of Tirana. 
and also seek to support any displaced people travelling through seeking asylum in Europe. They specialise in health education, electricity advocacy, <coughs> asylum applications and various kinds of rehabilitation. Both of these groups would love to receive any gift that we can give them today. So, let's take up an offering. Let's make Jesus smile. If you need a cash point, there's one just next door at Santander. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Let's give and let this be our worship this Christmas. <laughs> 